This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing, is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome, dear ones. Stacy here. I am so happy to be with you, you who are the apple of God's eye, you on whom his favor, his love is set, you who are chosen and cherished and wanted and seen and beloved. I pray that today that the reality of that incredible, fabulous truth seeps deeper into every fiber of your being today. I am really looking forward to my conversation today with my wonderful guest, Mm -hmm. Melissa Johnson. And let me just tell you a little bit about Melissa before I I get to just talk with her and, and unpack a little about from her wisdom. I'm going to read this from her bio. Melissa is a marriage and family therapist. She's a certified spiritual director and teaches a course on soul well-being at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota. She believes we are most fully alive when we are able to connect deeply with God, others, and ourselves. She began Impossible Beauty, a fabulous podcast, as well as a blog there. And you can go on that site. I'm going to leave everything in the show notes. And there is such rich resources there, really quality stuff. She writes, let's redefine beauty. I want to help women find authentic beauty, the kind of beauty their heart and soul long for. Beauty can be hard to define. As women, we are expected to be beautiful, which usually means physically perfect, aesthetically flawless. It seems we can never be enough or do enough. And sometimes in a world filled with brokenness and suffering, it feels like true beauty is hard to come by. At times, beauty seems impossible. But what if true beauty exists and is more brilliant than we ever imagined? Ugh. I love that. And Melissa, I believe, as well as the listeners, that we learn so much from hearing other people's stories and plumbing the depths of their wisdom. And I wish that we had hours today. But in our short little time together, we can go far. But I want to just announce early that you can go further with Melissa. She has a book that is coming out June 6th called Soul Deep Beauty where you can go deeper into her story and what she has learned and how God has met her and invited her into a life of fullness and presence and joy, redefining and reclaiming the true beauty that she and we all possess. It's so good. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you, Stacy. What a lovely introduction. I'm so grateful to be here. Congratulations on your book. <clears throat> It's going to re- this is going to it's um this is airing on May 31st. So in just 6 days, it's going to be available wherever books are sold. Yeah. Perfect. Such such amazing timing too. So, yeah, so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to dive in. I had the privilege of getting an advanced copy. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to ask you some questions of things you talk about and I want you to know Melissa, take your time, unpack, go wherever you want. Okay. 
Um, you use the phrase in sharing your own journey about American mm -hmm. beauty. So how would you define that? Yeah, yes. For me, and I, I make this note at the beginning too, because I, I I want to like mention or name that, of course, I think these are Western beauty standards. And also there's a a woman that I just recently interviewed on my podcast named Elena Rossini. She's an Italian filmmaker who made this documentary called The Illusionist about the globalization of Western standards. And so this American brand of beauty has kind of become, in a lot of ways, any globalized nation, the brand of beauty that we're like seeking after um, larger than, than America. So I like to, I like to name that, but for me, obviously my context is America. So American beauty, what I grew up on is you are thin. Um, you are, you have flawless skin, youthful, you know, I, I grew up on Disney movies too. So, you know, big doughy eyes, beautiful flowing hair. Uh, that's the American brand of beauty that, that I came to know and that I grew up on. Yeah. Now we add in white teeth. Mm. Yes. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Miss that. And very, very straight teeth. Especially. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. It's just ever expanding and this out of reach crazy. So we're going to unpack that a lot. But Melissa, personally, why are you so passionate about this topic? Yeah. Such a good question, Stacey. Um, and I will try to be concise. Um, I am so passionate about it because to be totally honest with you, I didn't think American beauty was impacting me in any particular way until I had my own uh, kind of turning point in my journey. Probably the biggest turning point I've had so far is I was practicing as a marriage and family therapist and my therapist, my own personal therapist, invited me to do some personal work around my relationship with food, which, um, you know, honestly, this was like a couple years long journey where she kind of kept encouraging me to get some more support. And long story short, it turns out it was an eating disorder. I ended up spending some time in intensive treatment. And because of that, I life was put on pause in a lot of different ways. And it made me look at where are some of these beliefs coming from in terms of what I believe my body should look like, what kind of practices I should be doing with my, like for exercise or for food. And it made me kind of pull back the veil on where these values came from. And I started to see that we are being sold a broken brand of beauty is what I call it. That is shame-based and purposefully fuels our insecurities so other people can make money. And mm. I honestly became like pretty, um, I guess, angry and then extremely passionate about wanting to sound the alarm on that not only because I don't like being played and I don't like it when other people are being played, but also because I realize this is not only playing us, but it is disintegrating us. And I mean that mm. uh, on a number of levels. I, I learned in my own journey how I, my own experience with my, even, even like my hunger and full fullness cues, like the simplest of attunement or, you know, being in tune with your body, those things were disintegrated it disintegrates us and like relationally with other women pits us against each other. And also I think it, because it promotes shame, it actually, I talk about in the book, a little neuroscience borrowed from Dr. Kurt Thompson about how it disintegrates neural networks. Shame does. And so I, I noticed that this brand of beauty is not only uh, taking our money, which I, you know, that's, that's one thing, but it is actually disintegrating our souls 
And mm. that is something that I couldn't stand by anymore after I sat in my own life and started seeing it in not only the women that I was in treatment with, but I started to see it in women outside of treatment. And I started to realize like, wait a second, these are like the beliefs my peers are holding around beauty. These are the beliefs that the general public is believing about beauty, food, body image. And I, I couldn't not say something like I'm an introvert, Stacey. And so I'm not someone who's like, I'm going to start a podcast, but it was more like, I couldn't stay silent. Cause like this, this isn't okay. Oh, there's so much there. Okay. I have to go back to a couple of yeah. things. I love your passion because it's so vital. You see the destruction that is going on through this. So go back to what you meant by disintegrating brain. You were talking just pacify. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson, and if he, hopefully he doesn't, (laughs) I don't destroy his, um, how he would say this, he would say much better. But so what we know about our brains is that they work, I guess, best or their healthiest state when they are integrated. So that means that, the both like right and left hemispheres are integrating and working together. Um, and also upper and lower brain are integrated and working together. But what we see that shame does is it actually disintegrates between those the neural networks, like between like the, the neurons, but also between the um, right, left, you know, integration and up, down integration. And so literally uh, when, when shame is occurring in the brain, these are the things that we see. And what we see about American advertising and American beauty is that it is running on shame. I, I say that shame is the lifeblood of American beauty. And yeah, does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it's so good. So say more about disintegrating your soul. Yes. So, um, my understanding of the soul, and I feel like, you know, this is an age-long discussion of what is the soul. And so um, for me, where I'm at in my journey, and perhaps, you know, I'll probably gain more wisdom as I go, but right now I see that the soul as the essence of who we are. And so this class that I that I teach at Bethel, um, and I give credit to Christine Osgood, who kind of founded this, well, and she's actually founded originally on Dallas Willard's model of the soul. But um, I see that our, the essence of who we are is impacted by our emotions, by our relationships, our cognitions, or, you know, our thinking, by our relationships and our meaning and purpose in life. And so those are the six domains that we look at in this class that I teach on soul well-being. And so that is the model of the soul that I use. And I see how actually this is damaging every aspect of our soul. I could talk about in each domain how it's impacting us. But one of the things that I, in my own journey with my, kind of my recovery journey, that I realized um, that I think is kind of a, a glaring example of this is in order to try to meet the demands of American beauty, I started at some point in my life realizing that, oh, I should not obey my, my hunger cues. Like if I eat less, then I can, you know, um, be, be thinner. And for me, that is such a base part of being human, like tuning into, am I hungry? Um, you know, am I, am I cold? Do I, do I need to, nur- how, do, how can I nurture myself? And so I started to disintegrate or become disconnected from my own embodied experience. And for me, what I realized actually, Stacey, and this was like such like an aha moment in my recovery was when I started to actually notice what my body was telling me, I started to notice the voice of God more. So because if I'm shutting down to my intuition, which I think to me is like, that would, that's what I would, one of the ways I think God speaks to me. If I'm not noticing that, if I'm shutting myself off to those cues, then 
I'm shutting myself off to the inner wisdom that God has given me in terms of really practical things like, am I hungry? Am I cold? But also to the still small voice of God, of um, the invitations he um, has for me, or, you know, when I have moments of compassion or moments of joy, which again, I think speak of true beauty, but that's, that's a huge example, I think, of disconnection or disintegration within my, my own experience. That is so good. There's so much there to unpack. So I'm glad that I and the listeners can go further with what you've written. Something that strikes me about that, the disintegration, that you were saying we work best when we're integrated. And I was thinking about our union with God. Like we are meant to live, you know, if you put your hands together, like in a place of prayer, that's intimacy. And we want that, yes. But then if you fold your fingers around so you tight, that's union. Mm. And and it's it's what we're made for, this oneness with Christ. So this integrated really strikes me and we are meant to be in tune. We are meant mm. to be functioning well, connected to God, connected with ourselves, attuned. And how many of us I think probably the majority of us out there, certainly this is my story, to turn off the cues because we think they're bad. When did this um, become your own journey and going, oh, wait, I, I actually have a problem here. When when did that begin for you? I'm like laughing to myself because, I mean, I uh, it, it began, and I talk about this in the book as well, um, it began after like, I was in treatment probably for like three months and I realized like, oh, wow. But like it was, it's so interesting how disconnected I became from my own cues of like wholeness. Um, and mm. because I had become so performance and externally focused, achievement based and noticed. I, so I got that invitation from my personal therapist and I kind of denied it for a while. I was like, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think we're talking about an eating disorder here. Um, I think, and I think I'm okay, you know, whatever, all my friends are doing the same things with, and have the same beliefs about calories and steps and, which actually I'll just say too, it it does, I will say, makes me wonder about how many people perhaps have disordered relationships with food and body image that we just don't realize it because it is so extremely, not only normalized, but applauded in our culture. Um, so like I said, it took me a while and then I just started to notice that other things in my life were kind of falling apart. Like I, my workout routines were getting longer and just, I couldn't do as many things like keep up with other responsibilities. And so then I had to do the treatment. And so it was probably only into like three months into treatment that I started to wake up to like, oh, wow. Yeah, they're right. This is actually problematic. Mm. I um, so appreciate what you said about wondering how widespread this is because I've actually only known a couple of people in my life that have this, like food doesn't hold a power over them. Mm-hmm. It's mm. at the attunement to their body, what, what I need, I what I want, and I stop. And maybe I want a salad. Maybe I want a hamburger. Maybe, and just paying attention yeah. without the shame, without the, what I ought to be doing, what I need to be doing in order to be worthy of love in order to be beautiful. It's, it's kind of shocking to me how widespread it is. Oh yes. Yes. And I, um, yeah, I was just talking about this with someone yesterday. Just, um, I almost feel like we all need like a a cultural detox around beauty and around 
our relationship with food when it comes to diet culture and the messages we get about even our ideas around health and how we tie thinness with health and how how actually um, damaging that is for all of us. Right, right. I was talking with a friend yesterday and we were saying, what what if everybody was the same size, the same shade of skin color, the same race, the same height? That would be so boring. That's just not who God is. Yes, yes. He loves it. And then for us to reclaim and for me in my personal journey to, as a woman in a larger body to say, there's beauty in that. Like, no, to stand and rebel against, because it's really, actually, I would name it as evil, but oh. the, the messages of the world. Oh, completely, Stacey. And, and I don't want to interrupt, interrupt you. What were you going to say? No, do go. Yeah. And I, I talk about, so again, I borrow this from Dr. Kurt Thompson, just this idea of shame being a minion of evil. And I just see this. I mean, that was one of the th- things that my eyes were open to was like, oh my goodness, if we can be distracted our whole life. We can't do the work that God is inviting us to. Um, What a great, great tactic that evil has over us. And so honestly, that that was the thing that like when the coin fell in the slot on that one, I was like, no, we can't, we can't, I can't let this happen because women have, we have such, and I think this goes into men for men as well, but we have such amazing capacities, such amazing gifts God has given us. And if we are spent, our, our mind energies, our heart energies, our physical energy is spent on chasing something that is never going to fulfill us, like, yeah, that is like evil's ultimate desire. It is. It keeps you centered on yourself, terrified to offer because you feel like you have nothing to offer if you're not attaining some sort of standard that's been preset by the world of what makes you acceptable. And then it's hard. It's hard to go out and say, how are you to someone else? Um, Hard to not go into the room and size up every woman and see where you fit in the scale of we're just conditioned and trained to do this. And yet we're invited by God to see us ourselves as he sees us which is so fun to say that he, you know, to dive into that. No, I'm beautiful now. This isn't about reaching um, a certain goal weight or somebody else's opinion, because there's a story there, right? It's not just the world and the magazines and the messages. There's a story growing up most of us have about what we were told. Yes. When did it begin to go right for you? Mm. Yeah, I think it was at the point where we're kind of that coin falling to the slot moment where I realized like, oh my goodness, this this could be my whole life in terms of whether that would be in and out of treatment or it could be um, or it could be being distracted by this. And I also realized, I think, like kind of playing the tape forward, um, if I were to follow American beauty, it led a path of disintegration. But if I mm-hmm. walk the path of authentic beauty, which I define as the life of God at work in us and among us, if I pursued that path, that would lead to ultimate connection and integration and the things that I think that God ultimately wants for us. And that is ultimately what we will be experiencing. And so I realized that this American brand of beauty really wanted my life. Like it, it could take my life in a lot of different ways. I mean, you could say it literally, or you could say it as of mind, heart, et cetera. But God was offering me something 
that my soul actually longed for. And so I kind of saw the, the road splitting and kind of I could take either path. And so at that point, I, um, I got a little, I mean, I got a little angry too. Like, this is not okay at like the advertising and corporations, but also at evil for like working together with these types of schemes that lead us down these roads that are damaging and disintegrating. That is such a great response. Mm. That's a, that's a righteous anger. Mm. That's a standing up going, no. Um, You said you got a taste of what my soul actually longs for. What does your soul actually long for? Yeah. So the interesting part about this, Stacey, is at the same time I was, and I don't know, I think looking back, this was a bit overambitious, but I was also pursuing my degree in spiritual formation. So during the day I would go to treatment and then in the evenings I would read about like the mystics love for God and classes like shame and grace. So it's just the the intersection of these um, two experiences where it could not be more perfectly paired. Wow. So what do I mean by what our souls long for? Like I said, I started kind of diving into, uh, I, I just love the mystics because I just feel like there's this mysterious nature to their descriptions of like the love and vastness of God that I feel like is so accurate. So I'm like, how can I begin to understand that? And I, I just love that they like throw their whole lives and their whole experience, and their whole heart into seeking connection with God. And in the book, I talk a little bit about this, how I actually had a couple of my own experiences in like um, prayer and kind of seen glimpses of like the heart of Jesus and God's heart for me. And so as, as I saw that, I noticed, and I mean, logically, I started to realize it, like with what I just described, the different paths. Um, I've had a couple experiences of, of God's love in new and different ways. And so, so what our hearts long for, I think, is that connection, that deep connection with the love of God. And I mean, it's almost laughable that we chase after a different kind of beauty. And I have so much compassion for that, that we do, because I feel like we've been duped in so many ways our whole lives to chase after that kind of beauty. And so I have so much compassion. But when I compare it to this like expansive love of God that like words can't name, that's so good. I want to read a little bit. Can I read just a little passage yeah, from your book? Um, you wrote, God's grace assures us that because of the outrageous love he has for us, we are enough. That is the miracle of grace. And that is what our souls long for, what they were created to experience, that kind of unequivocal love and acceptance. And that is what God offers us. That is why God is our soul's true home. I love that. And then you write a little bit about realizing that all along you've had this advocate Mm. next to you fighting for you. That is so beautiful. Mm. And then you write, I became distinctly aware of the two very real pulls on my life, both battling for my affections and attention, one for life and goodness, and one that would, if given the chance, ultimately lead to my diminishment. In that battle, God wanted me to embrace the fullness of life for which I had been created in all its goodness and light. At my core, I wanted that too. I hadn't realized I'd had such a powerful advocate at my side. God was for me, and that changed everything. I'm cheering. (laughs) 
that is that is it. What we want want um, everyone to know that he's not holding up this measuring stick. He's not hitting us with it. Shame's not in his vocabulary. Yeah. But I love. I went, oh my gosh, a book on sh- grace and shame. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> So um, say you're speaking to a woman right now, and you are, Mm -hmm. and she's coming in from either, uh, well, you know, wherever we're at and and, and the stories of our life and what we're battling and what we're suffering and what we're trying to endure and what our hopes are and what we're longing for and our deepening, growing experience, I pray, for being engulfed in the love of God. And being immersed in a world that will never tell you that you are enough. What what do you want to say to her? Hmm. Yeah, what's coming to mind? I mean, just just two things. Um, I I just want her to know. I think that she's just been saturated with lies her her whole life mm-hmm. about um, about her worth and what the expectations are and what we what we should be and should do but I also want her to know that like that's exactly what they are they're lies and if we carry them to their end there there will be no life there and so my hope is that I'm I'm just finding this I'm sensing this um, maybe an invitation to to maybe just stillness as well and I'm such an advocate of just practicing the presence of God and because I think these things can be in our heads, which is beautiful. But I think where things really, um, where transformation really happens is when we kind of go from that head knowledge to an experience of um, God's love or God's grace. And so maybe just an invitation to to settle in and into a space of stillness and um, just ask for an experience of, I mean, even noticing your, your breath and how our, your breath is a gift um, you know, every, every day, every breath we're given is a gift from God. And to me, it's a sign of this like enduring love that holds us, um, in this, Mm. this enduring embrace. And so I guess I would invite her to stillness and just noticing, uh, you know, how, how is God present in this moment? Um, and maybe it's, maybe you're in nature right now, maybe you're noticing, the sunlight or the beauty of the natural landscape. Maybe your kids are playing nearby or maybe it's just your breath. And so I would just invite that woman to notice the signs of, of God's love and, and to breathe that in. Wow, that's beautiful. Is that married to attunement? Um, that's a good, so uh, attunement, I'm trying to think of like the official definition, I think would be like when we are in line with someone's, um, someone else's cues. I mean, and I think about our relationship with God as like having an attuned experience. So yeah, I would, I would probably liken it to becoming attuned with the heart of God. Yeah. uh, uh, Becoming attuned Mm -hmm. with God's heart for us. And I mean, I think of this like, as even as I ever think about the, the word attunement, I think of like a parental love or like a mother's love for her child and, um, and how even when, uh, hopefully this isn't too far out there, but I just, I love attachment research and how even physiology syncs up between a, a baby and, um, her caregiver is or her caregiver. And so when we, we can become attuned with like, I just think it's beautiful. And to think about our, like God is our ultimate parent, like becoming attuned with the heart of God and what his opinion is of us, what his heart is toward us 
um, even envisioning like a loving parent's facial expressions and, you know, what would it be like for, for God to look at us in that way? Yes, that's so good. To close our time together, you had a phrase where you, how you defined authentic beauty. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering if you could just, we ran by that so quickly. I'm wondering if you could just say that one more time as, as much as you'd like to unpack that mm. in bringing life and hope and truth, because this is all so good. Any, any nugget of this is, but to land this, mm. um, how would you unpack a little bit more authentic beauty? Yeah. So I can kind of restate it too. So the definition that I give it Thank is you. the life of God at work in us and among us. And so in, in the book, I give this, um, I talk about this theologian named Baxter Kruger, and he talks about how this love, this unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's like this dance. And so I, I think about where, where do I see the life of God, where I see the dance alive around me. I see it in love. I see it in um, the beauty of nature. Uh, where is that vibrancy, that dynamacy alive and well in the world? And I think it's everywhere. And so I, I think that word life, there's like this uh, movement, this dynamic nature to it. And so that's, that's how I'm seeing beauty these days. I love that. Um, Melissa, do you feel comfortable to just pray a blessing mm -hmm. over the men and women that are listening right now? Mm -hmm. I would love that mm -hmm. for you to do mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Sure. God, I thank you for your presence with us. I thank you that we are immersed in your love right this moment. Just we, we are saturated in your presence and um, the love and the compassion that you have for us. I pray that, that there might be steps toward freedom today. I pray that minds could perhaps be enlightened in ways that they hadn't seen certain realities before. Um, and I pray that hearts could be softened to the reality of your love and your life and what true beauty is. I pray that even as people go from this time of listening, that, that seeds were planted and maybe something would call back to mind something that we talked about today. I just pray for your truth and your freedom and your love to be at work powerfully in each person who is listening. And um, I, I thank you that you are ultimate love and that you are ultimate beauty and that we can have uh, this eternal and authentic hope in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, we're going to put to learn more how to get in touch with Melissa in the show notes. But just a reminder, Impossible Beauty, you can look it up online. And she has a blog and a podcast that is wonderful. And then the book, Soul Deep Beauty. Friends, it is revelatory. It's vulnerable. It's engaging. And it's inviting to pursue looking at your own life, your own story, and dive deeper into the freedom and the love that our God has for you and for me. Thank you, Melissa. So good to be with you. Oh, thank you so much, Stacey. This has really been such an honor. So thank you. Be blessed, friends. Until next time. 
everyone. This is Stacy Burton, the producer of the Captivated Podcast. If you've been a regular listener, you've heard the encouraging teachings offered and the incredible conversations Stacy has had with her guests. So wherever you listen, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. May you be filled with the goodness of his love today, and we look forward to having you join us next time. Thank you.